into the room. And when she walks into the room, all eyes go on her. She walks in the room. Everyone is looking at her. It's an uncomfortable moment. She knows why everyone is looking at her. Can we put some lights up in here, by the way? Um, She knows why everybody's looking at her. She's the one with the bad reputation. You know what I mean when I say bad reputation, don't you? She's the one who um, has done things that she doesn't like to think about and tries to ignore and put out of her mind. But everybody's looking at her. And she starts to feel an intense uncomfortability. She walks through the first person and he sneers. She walks through the second, past the second person and he snickers. He knows what they're thinking. She knows that they're recounting the stories that perhaps others have told about her. The stories about not being honorable to God. About being with so many different people. She walks through and walks past and the thoughts are something like this. She walks towards Jesus and she can't control her emotions because it's Jesus. And you don't try to be cool in front of Jesus. So she loses control of herself and she starts crying, not in that cute, pretty Hollywood way where one tear streams down your eye, but in the kind of crying that you do when no one's watching, where you're uncontrolled and weeping because you understand the weight of your sin. She understands the weight of her sin. And in her broken, very condemned state, She can see all those looking at her. And as she goes straight to Jesus, he welcomes her when no one else will. She's alone. She's judged. One of them thinks, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. Funny enough, Jesus was the only one in the room who knew exactly what she was. And so in this environment, Jesus starts a conversation with those who were supposed to know better. It's the religious people. Those who go to church all the time. Those who find themselves very comfortable, know the songs, dress in the clothes. They know what it's like to be in a church service. This woman doesn't know any propriety. She doesn't know any kind of way of being within a community of believers. And she starts to weep uncontrollably to the degree where her tears are falling on his feet. She wipes his feet with her hair. And Jesus uses this as a moment to bring everybody into what is his priority. Jesus asks one of the guys there, because Jesus knew their thoughts, how would you like to have a friend like that who knows exactly what you're thinking about? And so Jesus goes, to one of the men there, says, hey, if a guy owes, you, if a guy owes a master $5,000 and he gets forgiven that $5,000 and there's another guy who owes his master $50, who do you think will be more grateful? And then the guy answers wisely, the church guy. He gets one thing right. He says, I guess the guy who lost the five grand, I mean, who got forgiven the five grand. And he goes, you know, you're right. Those people... Those people who recognize how deeply they've been forgiven don't judge others, but are, in, before Christ, grateful. 
Those who have had their sins washed white as snow, and they understand the depth of their sins, those people don't have time to judge others. They're just busy being grateful before a holy God who has forgiven them much. And yet, it's in the very church circles that we might be able to go around that we discover that sometimes judgmentalness or being judgmental thrives. Today we're going to continue in our journey through the book of James as we're learning about Jesus. And um, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 2. James is, going to, James is going to share with us this very same principle about not judging people externally, but being so in love with Jesus, being so forgiven, being so in relationship with Christ that we, in fact, go beyond judging and that we would love deeply. Let me just tell you what, if you have to leave early, let me tell you what the point of today's message is. Today, my prayer for you is that this church would have a reputation of being the most loving, the most honoring, the most dedicated and forgiving church that anybody has ever been to. That we would be irrational about our love and our acceptance of people who may not believe like us, of people who are far from God, of people who walk in here smelling, of people who walk in here uh, not knowing the, oh, you're supposed to stand up now? Oh, you're supposed to sit down now? Where's the songs? And uh, what do you do? And uh, people who don't know what it's like to be in a congregational ser- service. It's those people that we are to be the most loving and the kindest to. Show the most favor and love to. Because all of us, at one point, walked into a congregational meeting and all of us have experienced what it's like to be on the outside looking in. Am I the only one who's ever experienced that? Where you walk into, it might not have been a church, it might have been a class, it might have been a band, it might have been a, a, a meeting, it might have been, but you walk in and immediately you know you're different than everybody else. Immediately you know that there's something that you're not doing right, maybe you didn't dress appropriately, you know. James is going to speak to us about how to respond to people and not show favoritism, because it's natural for us to want to. And as much as I don't want to admit to that, in our church, it's natural for us to go to the beautiful people and not to ignore those who are a little bit rougher around the edges. It's natural for us to go to the well-dressed people and for us to ignore those who aren't as well-dressed. It's natural for us. Do you know, um, uh, I, I speak with people all the time, and one of the big pushbacks that they don't want to come to church because I just don't have any clothes that I could wear. Wouldn't it be something if, if you, when you came to this church, that when new people came to this church, that the, you would make them, that it would be your priority to make them feel like a million bucks. Would you sit next to me? It would be my honor that that would be your priority, that you would love lavishly, that there would be a sense, like I don't necessarily agree with the songs, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like the music, I don't necessarily agree with the sermon, but I tell you, when I go there, even though I sense I don't belong, I feel, those people make me feel like I belong. I just had a, an experience uh, about this not too long ago. I went to, anybody ever heard of Toastmasters? Anybody ever heard of Toastmasters? Who, who, who here has ever heard? Like four of you, great. Um, okay, so let me, uh, Toastmasters is, a, is an organization that helps people to publicly communicate. That's it. That's why, you know to be able to say toast. But they, they do more than that. They help you to write. And, and, and so I was like, you know what? 
I communicate and I'd love to get into a different kind of fellowship than I'm used to. So um, I went there. Well, I went to one and I, I, oh my. I got there. I got there. I thought I got there on time, but and then I had to, I had to have be escorted because it was in a building where you had to be escorted. So I interrupted the meeting um, by calling twice to the people in the meeting while they were having their meeting. Um, on the second time, they sent somebody down, so he had to get out of the meeting. I walked into the uh, into the meeting, and they made me feel like a million bucks. I walked in there. I got nothing but smiles. I got nothing but encouragement. Somebody passed me a ribbon that had like the values of the Toastmasters, right? Toast well, thou toast well. No, not, I'm kidding. It has nothing to do with it. Um, but it, you know, it had it had all sorts of uh, paraphernalia. They had a, a place where I could sign my name because that's what the members do. They sign in to show that they're um, present and all that. It just they made me feel like a million bucks. They honored me every time a person came up there to give a speech, they always said, members and honored guest. Isn't that cool? Members and honored guest. There was no one else there who wasn't a member. I was the only, so I'm assuming they were talking about me, and they were honoring me, and they were saying, members and honored guest. Members and honored guest. Well, they, 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 they finished everything. It was a wonderful experience. Um, they, they closed the meeting, and one of the ladies, in the most loving way you can possibly know, could told me that this was a closed meeting that no one was allowed to go into. It was only for those who were members of Toastmasters. Evidently, you have to go through a process to be a member of, of Toastmasters. And that there are some, here, let me show you some open meetings that you can go to. And it, I would have never known that. I interrupted the meeting twice. I, had, I, take, I took one of their Toastmasters out of the meeting. I walked in late. I, and I would have never guessed that. I would have never guessed that I interrupted everything that they were trying to do. They made me feel like a million bucks. Listen to me. In Christ, I want our congregation to be that way. But I don't just want you to be that way in this room. I want you to be that way in your room, in your living room, in your work room, in your family room. That every time people are around you, that they would experience the favor and the love of God. And so, uh, James talks about this. So, what we're going to do is we're going to... I want a tradition. I want us to start a tradition. I love traditions. You should... I know tradition has kind of a bad name now, like, oh, it's so traditional. It's like, it's cool. Tradition isn't bad. Um, Traditions are just something... Like, we have a, a tradition every Thanksgiving to feed the poor. Now, it's not the only day we do it, but we, it's, the, it's the day that we do it in a very great force, right? That's a good tradition, wouldn't you say? We have a tradition that when you find someone that God is leading you to, uh, you know, that when a man finds a woman that God is leading him to, we have a tradition that says, you know what, I'm going to honor you by, besto- by, by giving you, bestowing on you commitment. I'm going to commit my life to you. We do it within the realm of holy matrimony. That's precious, isn't it? It's a good tradition, right? All the women say... Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, you get the guys. Guys, come on. Let's catch up, right? Um, we, have, we have a tradition of always looking into God's word. Whenever, so traditions are good. I'm going to tr- try to institute another tradition. That when we read God's word, we, it would be like, we would be more reverent to God's word than we would if the president walked in the room. You know what happens when the president walks into a, the room when it's an official gathering? You know what everybody does? They stand because they're so... And not necessarily the guy. You might love the guy, you might hate the guy. But the office is a powerful thing. And you stand in respect to the office. So people on both sides of the aisle, no matter if you're Democrat or Republican, you stand. Now, we have one here who's greater than the president. And he's walking across the room, touching hearts and moving in lives. And so, in the he's going to get a chance to speak and when we're going to read his word. So when we hear God's word, I'm going to ask you simply to stand in awe and reverence that we're going to hear the very words of God. Now, could you imagine? There are some books that are bigger than this because War and Peace. Anybody here ever read War and Peace? Right? Crime and Punishment. I just finished reading Crime and Punishment. Big book. 
God could have written volumes, but in here he wrote everything that you needed to know to have relationship with him. So it's not exhaustive, but it's enough. So when we hear God's word, I want you in your soul to salute. When we hear God's word, I want you in your soul to want to stand and respond to the preciousness of God's word. So in that spirit, please stand as we read God's word. James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Um, When we get to uh, verse 12, I want you to, we'll read it together, okay? All right. Now, those of you who don't have your Bible with you, um, you can open up your bulletins. In your bulletins, um, you should have uh, the scriptures there in your bulletins. We call it the sermon map. Yeah. Okay. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, stand there or sit by the floor, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love, who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, but also also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's sit. So James has one big idea. And this is it. Don't be biased. Don't judge books by their cover. Don't judge people. Don't show favoritism. Now listen to me. Listen to me what James is not saying. James is not saying that if your kids are hanging around with a bunch of titeres, right? Right? Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, thugs or hooligans, right? Yeah, right? If your kids are, are, are hanging around with a bunch of thugs or hooligans, right, that you would say, oh, well, I'm not going to judge them, so go ahead, hang out with, you know, you know, uh, you know this this person who's a thug or a hooligan. No, of course, you and I have to judge things every day. Ladies, you have to judge the motives of the men that are around you. Does that not make sense? Right? You don't invite everybody to your house, do you? Like, and if you do, man, this is a great place to be. This is a really good place to be because you could just kind of understand that that maybe is not the very best thing for you to do. Right? So, of course... We judge. And if there are, listen to me, if there are people, of course we judge. But what we don't do is judge unfairly. And that's what James is talking about. Showing favoritism, showing, uh, judging people unfairly. Here's what James is not talking about. James is not saying that if last week we had a, a, a brother in Christ Um, Tim McDonough, 
He came. And one of the things we do, we didn't shout anybody else out. We shouted him out. Remember? He said, and to, he's serving. Did anybody, did, was there anybody who said, you know, you're showing favoritism. Here's a guy who served our country, has um, done an amazing, like you should hear his story and how Jesus has brought him to himself and all the things that he's gone through and the traumas that he's gone through in serving our country. So we want to honor people like that. Say, for instance, we had 20 people who had served our country and they came into the service and we just said, you know what, first two rows, we're just, we're just reserving them for those people. Would anybody here like object to that? Would anybody like go, nah, I'm not down with that. That's not cool. I don't want to honor those people. No, of course not. We honor those people. That's not what James is saying. We are not allowed to judge unfairly. And so when someone comes in and they smell, or when someone comes in and they're drunk, and when someone comes in and they're poor, and when someone comes in and you avoid them, you are judging them. And you come against the God of the universe. You find yourself in opposition with the God of the universe. James is also not saying that we're not to judge one another. Did you know that we're supposed to judge each other? Did you know that? We are. And but doesn't the Bible say no, 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 go back to the scripture. When, when Jesus said don't judge, he said first take the plank out of your eye. Then you can help your brother take the speck out of his eye. In other words, Jesus says, yeah, it's okay to do, but there's some work. There's some work we got to do here first. Now, here's where, here's where we, are, we are able to judge. We don't judge. Here's one of the things that we don't do. We don't condemn people in the world. They don't have the same standard that we do. Right? If we don't agree, if you and I don't agree that this is our standard, how could I judge them? We don't even agree on the same standard. So, a, person's, uh, a person comes up and says, you know what? Uh... I'm going to, you know, let's pick something easy. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm meeting a lot of new people, and, you know, I'm sleeping around with them, and uh, I, I just recently had a meeting with a guy who was going to marry another guy. And we just don't have the same standards, so I loved him well. We just don't have the same standards. So I, I listened to his worries and his concerns. I, I addressed some of his fears and some of his issue. I met him at the point of his need. And I pray that I might be able to, to direct him, lead him, encourage him to walk with Christ, which at that case, in that moment, I'll be, it will be able to have the same standard. Right? So it makes sense. So here's what I don't do. Here's what you'll never see me do. If someone leaves their wife and, her, and his kids, or her kids, and then they go with somebody else, and then they start a family living with that person, and they're a person who's with our congregation, you'll never hear, see me um, shout them out on Twitter, oh, isn't it great? They had a kid. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Look at you, aren't I proud of you? You'll never see me shout them out on Facebook or Twitter. You'll never see me go, isn't that wonderful? Because we hold to the same standard. And they're living in sin. And so I'm not going to bless that person. I'm not going to go, oh, all is well. All is good. You do that. That's great. Oh, your wife, she's still crying? Your kids are still asking for you to come by? Oh, oh don't worry about that. That's just, I don't want to be judgmental. But you know what? Okay, so that's a sermon for another day. So, but that's, that's what I'm saying James is not saying. That, when, that when, when, it's, when James says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism or don't judge. He's not saying don't, ju- he's not saying, he's saying don't show favoritism. He's not saying uh, don't judge. He's saying don't judge unfairly. Does that make sense? Are you, are you tracking with that? Now, the reason that I say that is because of it, the way James first starts out. Notice what he says. He says, my brothers. Now, ladies, he's speaking to the entire church. He's using 
the word brothers generically. So he means, it's almost like when I go, hey guys, I'll meet you on the other side of the room. Now, do I only mean the males of this congregation when I say I'll meet you on the other side of the room? Of course not. I'm using guys generically, right? So I mean guys and girls, right? But it's easier to just say, hey guys, I'll see you on the other side of the wall. I want to talk to you about all the great things that God is doing. And by the way, after the service, when you're getting... Uh, you know, uh, apples and bananas and cookies and things like that. I want to talk to you about some stuff. But when I say, hey guys, I'll meet you back there, I mean it generically. So James is saying brothers in a generic way. Brothers, sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you know what people do with God's word? They say, don't show favoritism. Um, because you're believers, uh, or rather, don't show favoritism. You're believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, no, no, no. Because you're believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, there's an at natural outflow. Do you see that our living for Christ is an outflow of our relationship with Christ? I, I'm not sure you got that. Okay, I want you to focus. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you. We don't do good things so that we can find favor with God. We have found favor with God as a natural outflow. We do good things. I don't kiss my wife because I'm hoping she marries me. But because I'm married to her, it's a natural outflow that I kiss my wife. Does that make sense? Right? And so some of you will think that when we speak on God's word, we go, oh, 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 we're supposed to do this. Then God will be okay with us. No. You put the cart before the horse. God says, I've got a relationship with you. Because I have this relationship with you, this is what's going to naturally outflow. Um, you've seen this, right? You've been in love. Who here has been in love? Like, I mean, like 15-year-old in love, maybe you're in love now, whenever. Like, who has been like head over heels, lost your mind, everybody was questioning your sanity in love? Go ahead, just raise your hand nice and high, because we want to see where the crazy people are. Okay, great, thanks. Um, no. Um, so, when, you're, when you are out of your mind in love, right, and it could have been an imagined thing, right? It could have been like J-Lo. We know that's not happening, right? <laughs> or it could have been like you were 15 years old, right? And you were, you know, you, you found someone who would actually, you know, stick around you or something like that. And, and what happened? When you were out of your mind in love, there was just, it was natural. Guys, wasn't it natural? Wasn't it natural for you to want to open doors? Wasn't it natural for you to want to call up? Wasn't it natural for you to want to bring presents? Wasn't it natural? Right, God, no, I'm talking about, I'm not using this generically. I'm talking to the men here. Um, uh, wasn't it natural? I just can't wait to be around you. I can't wait to talk to you. I can't wait to be around. Wasn't that natural? Right, now, now watch this. When you get married, women wonder where that natural thing happened, right? What happened to that natural thing? All right. So, um, uh, but women, didn't you naturally want to doll yourself up? Like, did anybody have to go, you know, you have to put on eyeliner and lipstick and blush and you have to do your hair night and you got to take a shower, Right? And you got to put all these different kinds of perfumes on. Did anybody even have to come up to you and say, now, are you... No. In fact, you fretted so much, you had different clothes on the, on the bed, right? And you said, I'll wear this, right? Am I, am I talking to you or no? Right? Right, right. But now it's like the house dress is like all you wear is like for 15 days. And it's like it's different, right? Well, it's natural. And you should change that. But, but that's not the point. The point is this. Guys, you would naturally, as a direct result of your relationship, you would naturally behave in a particular way. Well, James says, naturally, if your sins have been washed, if the things that brought you great shame now bring you great joy because Jesus paid the price, if the things that other people could point the finger at you and you would feel incredibly guilty now give you cause to rejoice because they pointed the finger. Christ rather had them point the finger at him and pay the penalty for your sin. If, in fact, Jesus is Lord and Christ and God, if he's shame remover, if he's guilt taker, if he's new life giver, if that's the case, well, of course you're not going to show 
You're not going to judge unfairly. Of course you're not. Because, my brothers, as people, or let me quote it exactly, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, listen to me, don't ever put that, ever put that before change. Relationship comes before change. Do you understand? Like, you might, you might be able to put a drug down or stop hitting your wife. You might be able to stop stealing cars and do all that. But I'm not talking, I'm talking about the deep kind of change that only Jesus can do. The kind that your family notices. Not just people on the outside. That kind of change, that happens in Christ. Don't ever put one before the other. Listen to me. Some of you took a long time to get to an actual church that would feed you God's word simply because you said, when I get better, then I'll go to church. When I stop doing this thing, then I'll go to church. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Listen, you are surrounded by hypocrites. But we're forgiven hypocrites. When you're out there in the world, sometimes you're surrounded by unforgiven hypocrites. We're all hypocrites. We all live beneath our standard. Isn't that true? Like, am I the only one who blows it? Right? Am I the only one who has to say I'm sorry on a, on a regular basis? Right? No, no, no. It's, it's, we're all like that. Listen. Relationship with Christ. And you say, but I don't have a relationship with Christ. Am I glad you came today? Because you can have it today. You can have it right now. You don't even have to wait for the talk to finish. And you go, but I'm not sure what that looks like. It means, it means going, Jesus, what you've wanted all along, now I want. What you've wanted, my surrendered life, my surrendered body, my surrendered life, I'll surrender it over to you. You be the boss. I, I, I remember, anybody, um, anybody heard, this is an old R&B song, right? I'm in love under new management. Anybody remember that? Who was that? Atiano, tell me who was that. No, do you know who it was? Who, who's that? LaBelle? Was it Patty LaBelle? Was it somebody? No, who was it? it? It was somebody, right? She goes, I'm in love under new management, right? And she was like, you know, she was like, uh, right? And what she, her point was that her heart got broken and she was distraught and that she suffered great pain in relationships with people. But now the, the, the sign got flipped on the door of her heart because someone very special came into my life. You remember that part, right? Right? Yeah, right, right. Sing it like you mean it, right? Woo, it's so. Don't, don't, don't push me on it. I'll do it. No. Uh, listen, listen. Someone very special came into my life. And no one can take his place. He filled my empty space. Listen to me. I'm in love under new management. And if that's the case, brothers, if you're in love under new management, Don't show favoritism. Don't judge unjustly. That's it. Now, that's all James wants you to know. Now, we're gonna, he's going to illustrate that. I'm going to do this pretty quickly, but I just want you to know, if you're in love under new management, listen to me. Listen. That's the direct result of your relationship with Christ. Don't judge unfairly. So James gives an example of what favoritism might look like. This is not the only example, because this will happen in your house. This will happen on your job, right? There's a new salesperson at your job, and you don't want to teach them the ropes, because then maybe they'll take your job. Oh, disgusting. Don't let that be you. Just who gave, let me ask you something. Just who gave you that job? Just, just who helps you to keep that job? Your sneaky ways? Jesus. Someone comes in to your um, to, uh, environment, family, you know, environment. Like, you know, the parties are coming up, right? We got Thanksgiving, we got Christmas, we got New Year's. And they're, they're new to the group. 
and they're all by themselves. And you can just walk over and you can just say, oh man, I'm so glad you're here. Tell me where you're from. I say, why? Because you have such a relationship with Christ. You've been made secure in Christ. You can extend that to someone else. Don't show favoritism. In other words, clicks not allowed. I know that when you come in here, listen to me. When you come in here, you see people who you haven't seen in a week, and that's part of the problem. And you love them, and you, you, you go to them, and you, you say, oh, I missed you, and you want to spend time with them. Listen to me. Get each other's number. Meet each other for lunch. But when you come in here, I want you to be a lover of people you don't know. Don't show favoritism. And then he says this. He gives an example, right? Not the only example, but one of the examples. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man is shabby cl- uh, in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, if you do this, you are not, you are not living according to the relationship that you said. My brothers, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't show If you find yourself doing, man, what are you, what are you saying about your relationship to Christ? Verse 5. Now James is going to give us, really, he's going to give us three reasons why we shouldn't show favoritism, right? I'm going to give them to you quick. Number one, it contradicts God's um, feeling about the poor or those who are. And you could be poor in, uh, poor in friends. You could be poor in finances. In this particular case, James is talking about poor in finances. But you could, you could just lack something. It contradicts God's feeling about the poor. That's, he makes the case in verses 5 and 6. It also, um, the, another reason that James gives is because um, they're... Um, they're showing favoritism or they're judging on, um, they're, they're unfairly judging. And lastly, it contradicts the love, uh, the law of love. And let me see if I can walk you through that. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Look at me. This is powerful. When you do something, and this is, this is directly out of Jesus' teaching, when you do something for someone who can pay you back, so what? When you do a favor for someone in your job who you suspect will move up the corporate ladder and remember your favor, who cares? When, listen, listen. When you respond kindly to your pastor and do what's being asked of you, but treat the other believers around you as if they had no love and no authority in your life, what good is that? If you, listen to me, if you only know how to be kind and good to people who are kind and good to you, what good is that? Hey, listen, I just touched on 95% of your problems in your marriage. If you're only, if you live under the law, that is, I will be kind to you if and only if you are kind to me. This is a recipe for divorce. Let me tell you something. So what am I supposed to do? He's, every time I cook for him, every time I act kindly to him, he's just unkind to me. What am I supposed to do? Continue doing what you're doing, sister. Do it in love. I don't know what to do. I try to show restraint, but every time I do, she starts to flare up and explode on me and tries to emasculate me. Brother, love her well. But I don't know what to do. He's just, he just doesn't understand. He's not sensitive to me. Sister, love well. But I don't know what to do. He, he's wrong. She's wrong. They're not behaving in the way I wished. Listen to me. God says, 
your relationship with Christ brings about a consequence. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Now, you know what's very interesting? What's interesting is that most of us have come in just this way, right? Like none of us are, not many of us, some of us are, but not many of us came in here having, you know, being all decked out, right? Like you don't have jobs with six figures. You don't have power in a lot of different places. We come from poor places and we come from addicted backgrounds and we come from different things, right? That's why it's so offensive in this church if someone should leave without 15 or 20 hugs. Because you and I came in. We were the poor. We were the losers. We were the ones that nobody wanted to meet with or talk to. And if someone is going to be loved in the name of Jesus, it's going to have to come from Lincolnton. It's going to have to come. That embrace is going to have to come from your arms. That kind word is going to have to come from your lips. That's the kind of church we want to be in our personal lives and in our corporate lives. Keep on with verse 6. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? In other words, there's a group of people that people will want to naturally be favorable towards. The people who can do kind things for me, respond in a, in a nice way. And those people, listen to me, they're slandering the name of God. They're slandering the name of God. If you don't believe that, go to, a, go to different places where education is lifted up high. Right? Go to, go to um, universities. Go to very successful people. And you will, see, you will discover that there is a drought of believers there. They've convinced themselves that they can do it all on their own. Of course, that doesn't answer the question about what happens when you die. But you can, for now, convince yourself. And so the Bible is saying, the Bible is not saying, if you're rich, you're evil, and if you're poor, you're good. That's not what the Bible is saying. But the Bible is saying, and it's saying kind of emphatically, that, listen to me, people who are weak and desperately looking for Jesus should receive your mercy should receive your kindness, should receive your love and affection. Yeah, but their breath smells like alcohol. Yeah, so did yours. <laughs> and for those of you who didn't come in that way, listen, all of us, all of us have areas where we're not beautiful. All of us have areas where we're not pretty. Maybe it's the way you treat your husband. Maybe it's the way you act with your children. Maybe it's the way you... Listen to me. All of us need mercy. All of us do. He goes on to say in verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Now listen to me. So the, so the law that we're following here is love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Because I've been forgiven much, I can forgive much. Because Christ endured my stench, I can endure yours. Because Christ endured my ugliness, I can love you even in your ugliness. Because Jesus showed me mercy, I can show you mercy. Listen to me. This is a big deal. Because God has done this for us. If you really, then there should be, there's a law of love, which is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice, God is not saying, you can love your neighbor when you love yourself. The Bible already assumes that. If you're alive and you're listening to me, you love yourself. You know how I know? When your body says to eat, you love yourself enough to eat. Somebody else could be hungry and you might not feed them. In fact, you might have walked by four people who was just hungrier than you've ever been. You didn't feel a great need to feed them. But when you're hungry, oh, you know, 
You want people to excuse your grouchiness. You want people to, like, right? There's a big deal. Right. So here's what we're saying. Here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, listen to me. The Bible is saying, love people like you love you. Oh, but I have to pray. Listen, and this is, this is the nightmare of the place that we're in, in, in history. And we walk around and say, oh, man, I just got to learn to love me. Too late. You're already a scholar. Believe me. It's all about you. Believe me. To you, it's all about you. It's like, in fact, when you, you want to know, when, if you want to know if it's all about you, just go ahead and be insulted, track your feelings, and then have someone else that you insult. See if you have the same emotions. Right? Someone steps on your toes, woo! Big deal. You step on someone else's toes, not so big. Oh, man. All right, I'm sorry. Right? Not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. What are we saying? Listen, if you belong to Jesus, you love others like you love yourself. But if you show favoritism, you're sin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever, and now James gives an illustration. This is very powerful. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of law-breaking, uh, of guilty of breaking all of it. For he, all right, so now you hear what James is saying? James is saying you might be able to rationalize, oh, but at least I don't act this way. Oh, but at least I don't, you know, I don't do this. At least I'm not doing that. James is saying, no, 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 listen to me. You break one law, you break them all, Right? You think you're doing great. Listen, you break law, you, and, and, he, and he says it this way. He gives a further illustration. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Do not murder. If you do commit adultery, but do not commit murder, uh, I'm sorry. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Do you know what he's saying? Here's what you and I think. You and I think that there are hundreds of God's laws. Some are worse than others, right? So... Cursing at my wife, that's bad. That's not obeying the law of love, right? But me going just a wee bit over 65, that's not so bad. That's not that big of a deal, right? Uh, me being unkind to someone who's kind to me, that's bad. But me being unkind to someone who's unkind to me, that's not so bad. And, and the Bible is saying, no, 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 don't you get it? Don't you get it? It's, it's a law. It's a law. Yeah, but you don't know how they treat. Yeah, 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 I understand. You got excuses. I know. Yeah, but you don't understand what they did. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I know. Yeah, very terrible. Very terrible. In fact, if I could take off this mic and pass it to you, I'm sure that you could tell us your sad story in such a way that would bring tears to all of our eyes. That we would all, of course you have to be an adulteress. Look at what's going on. Oh, gosh, that's terrible the way they treat you. Listen, listen, God is saying, no, 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 no. You love Jesus, that should have an outflow. And it should outflow to people who deserve it the least. Sometimes him, sometimes her. Sometimes us. So, then he says this, which I think is just the most marvelous. I'm going to spend the rest of the sermon on just these two verses. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying that if you're in Christ, the law of love judges you every day. Every day. You go, was that love? Was, did, I, did I just react in love? Did I speak in love? Did I relate? Did I receive that in love? Or did I receive it with impatience, a critical spirit? Did I, you know, did I behave in love? Because you might be able to tell me your story. And I might even agree with you. Listen to me, though. It's the law that's judging you, the law of love. Was it loving? Well, no, but let me tell you my story. No, 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 no. Don't tell me your story. It wasn't loving. 
We're being judged by the law of love. Now, this is not a judgment answer whether you're saved or not. Remember, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus has done, and we're saved by Jesus' works. But it judges us. It helps us to communicate, even to ourselves, what God's will is. Verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been Merciful. Remember when Jesus says, um, those who have forgiven will be forgiven. Those who are not forgiven. You know what, you know what the Bible is saying? The, the Bible is saying you show your hand. I know we all say we're in Christ. Listen, everybody walks around going, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Something like over 80% of the United States says that they're a Christian. Listen, listen to me. I, I got a detector. I got a, I got a Christian detector. Do you understand? And it's like, do, 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 And then it's like, do, do, do. You know, it's like, and it can do that for all of us. If I'm in Christ, it will show. It will show. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone. So in other words, don't kid yourself. Don't call yourself a believer in Christ and then live in a way that is just abhorrent to God and think, oh, yeah, yeah, no. This is exactly the way it's supposed to be. No, it's not. Judge yourselves. And here's where it ends. I love this part. Mercy. And wait, well, let me go to verse, beginning of verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has been merciful. Mercy. I read that wrong. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then it says, it, I just love this part. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what? Listen to me. Mercy, love wins. In the end, love wins over judgment. I was at a, a, a meeting and, and somebody uh, spoke about how they were just disgusting in their behavior and they cursed people out and people came up to them. And hugged them. And they just didn't know what to do with that. You know why? Because over that person's evil and wrongness, love one. Love one. You're, you might be in a circumstance here where people are around you who don't normally fit in and don't normally come to church and don't normally... Listen to me. I want you to make the extra effort to introduce and love them well. All the time. Not just today in today's service. But when you're at home, I want you to do it as well. When you're at work, I want you to do it as well. I want, I want God to be... Listen, I want people to mistake you for Jesus. That's how I want And you want that for you. If you know Christ, you want that for you. I encourage you. Now, one of the things that we're going to do... and um, so, so here's the lesson for today. The lesson for today is don't show favoritism. Right? Don't go, oh, yeah, but you know. Now, again, judge wisely, but don't unjustly judge. So what I want you to do for the rest of the week is I just want you to simply find people who don't deserve your kindness and show it to them anyway. I want you to go through this week because listen, and listen, listen, listen. And the reason that you're going to do that this week, the reason that you're going to do that this week is because you are just reflecting what Jesus has done for you. Listen to me. Listen to me. I know. I know. You know why, this, why that suggestion just got such a, an emotion out of you? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because you don't see yourself how grimy you really are. You think you're pretty. You think they're a problem. You don't, you don't see yourself as grimy as you really are. You don't recognize. You don't re and listen, there's no joke behind this one. I'm saying for real. You don't see yourself as grimy as you really are. Because here's what happens. When, people, when I see somebody else and I see their sin, I go, how could they? And when, when, I, when people see my sin, I want them to say, 
I want them to hear my story. I want them to understand my circumstances. Listen to me. You don't see yourself as foul as you really are. You think you, think you only need like six ounces of mercy, while the person over here needs like 20 pounds of mercy, right? And this is why marriages go bad. Because I only, oh yeah, of course I talked to him bad, but man, I didn't deserve that kind of response from him. Of course, you only see six ounces of mercy that you need. Listen to me. There are two billion pounds of mercy that you need. And everybody else, everybody else needs a little less than you. Nobody's more grimy than you. And you just came to church just to hear a pastor say that, didn't you? Yeah, I know. Listen to me. Listen to me. If I put your stuff on a screen behind me, you wouldn't know where to put your face. None of us, none of us deserve the mercy of God. But here it is. As grimy as that was, as grimy as we are, Christ says, perfect. Um, true story. Uh, there was a woman who... Um, who had uh, went outside the relationship on her husband. They were a young couple, and she had... And if I told you her sad story, you would understand. She was raped as an early child. It screwed up her belief system about sex, messed up her whole deal. You could understand. It wasn't, a, it wasn't that she was just caught in a kind of a grip. Well, she didn't, and she didn't know what to... She came to Christ, and she didn't know what to do with it. So her husband, who had been in Christ for a while... Um, they went to counseling, and then she went privately to counseling on her own. And the counselor told her something wise. She said, you're going to have to confess this one. Yeah, but it's already in the past. I don't want to say, no, 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 you just, you're going to have to confess it. And so she went um, to her husband, and she said, this is the truth about me. And she shared it with him. And you could imagine the emotion that he went through. Tears started welling up in his eyes. His face became flustered. He said, I need some time. And he left the room. And he left her with her, hand, her face in her hands, sobbing uncontrollably because she thought she had destroyed her marriage. He came back maybe eight hours later. She had not known where he was. But he came with a box and he came with the box, and he gave it to her. And he said, I want you to put this on, then I want you to come out to our bedroom. And so she went in, and she changed. And she changed into this beautiful white silk robe. Uh, not robe. Um, yeah, like not like, but those beautiful gowns, those beautiful white nightgowns. She came out. But I'm talking about the nightgown came from her shoulders to her wrists, from her, uh, he, uh, from her neck to her feet. And then he said these beautiful words over her. He said, this is how I choose to see you. I choose to see you the way Christ sees you, perfect and without blemish. I choose to see you sinless with no guilt or no shame. You will never bring this up again. And I will never bring this up. And every night, I'll be reminded that you are spotless, without blemish. Beloved, you have sinned grievously before the Lord. And Christ has gone and purchased your gown. And he purchased it with all of his blood. And he brought you the gift that you neglected and turned away from for many years of your life. But eventually, one day, some of you said, I'll take that dress. And you put it on and he says, this is how I see you. I see you without spot or blemish. I see you as perfect. And then he says, out of the gratitude of that, Treat others that way. So this week, I want you to find people who don't deserve your mercy because you didn't deserve the mercy of Christ. 
who don't deserve your kindness because you did not deserve the kindness of Christ, who don't deserve your favor because you did not deserve the favor of Jesus. I don't want you to wait for a thank you. I don't want you to wait for a return. I don't want you to wait for a smile. I want you to do it in the joy of the Lord and be reminded that you have been forgiven much. Now, that's the end of the sermon. We have boxes behind me. And these boxes, you might have wondered why they're there. Gosh, well, you know, it's like, doesn't that look strange? Right? Well, it, we have, th- does anybody here know that we have a food pantry? And this passage speaks about the poor and about caring for them. And one of the things that we take very, very seriously is the poor. We take that very seriously. Listen, I know that we all think that we're poor. Don't make me go into my thing, okay? You're not poor, all right? Don't make me do it, all right? Because I'll do it. And you just heard one sermon. You don't need to hear another one. So, all right, listen to me. You're not poor. You're not poor. If you had to, listen, if you had to choose, all right, I'm not going to do it. Listen, just the, the truth is that we're blessed by God, okay? Just be grateful that you're blessed by God.